let's just bow in prayer. And I'm a little bit ringy. At least, is y'all hearing that? I'm hearing it. Yeah, so I don't know if you can turn that down. Lord, we just come before you now, and I just pray, God, that no matter what situation people find themselves, Lord, that they would have hope when they walk out of here today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as we've gone through Ruth, I've been just sitting hit with a question. And it's not the question you might think I'd be hit with, but I went back into sort of why is our church called Oasis and what does that mean? Why Oasis? Oasis is a place where you can get refreshed. Oasis is a place where you can come and find rest. I'm sure that some of you have seen sort of the castaway type of shows where someone is, you know, or I, I shouldn't be alive, where people will see an oasis in the desert. They will see palm trees and a spring, and they go, and they labor for it, and they see it, and then they reach it, and it disappears, and it's called a mirage, right? It's a mirage. Uh, another way you'll see that is if you are uh, mountain climbing a, a pretty steep terrain, and, and maybe even there's fog, you will constantly go up and you will have a false hilltop and you'll think you're at the top, your body will be screaming that you're at the top and it's a false hilltop. And you get up to the point where you think it's the top and you realize you're not there anymore. And sometimes along that journey, you miss things along the way. So life is not like the Pacific Coast Highway, at least the part I've been on, where you're chilling and going down and going and driving, enjoying the beach, and everything is just smooth and nice and vacation time. It's more like driving up a mountain on the Blue Ridge. It's more like driving across the Bay Bridge on a Friday night. <laughs> Y'all got that one quick. I mean, life is not easy. And so Ruth's life was not easy. Naomi, her name meant bitter. Ruth's mother, her life was not easy. And I think along the way, you can see, if you want to start with Naomi, you can see where she searched for different oases in her life. Different outs, different helps, different means of finding joy. And they were all temporary. Naomi and her husband, they were going through a famine in Bethlehem and they left, they left sort of their birthright in a sense and they went out to Moab for food. They were making Moab an oasis. Once they got there, um, you know, they, her sons got married to these two ladies, and sometimes we will make spouses an oasis. And they were having a married life, and things were good, maybe, I don't know. Things were good until they both passed away. And then here you have Naomi 
taking care of her two daughters-in-law who were from Moab. She was out of touch with herself, and she decides she's going to go back to another oasis of Bethlehem. And she goes back with her daughters, and there's a discussion that we had in chapters 1, and, and this discussion that led, bled into two, it's just, what are you going to do? Are you going to follow me? She wanted them to just stay and live their life. Don't worry about me. But Ruth ends up going, Naomi, you are my oasis. I trust you. I'm going to follow you. And Naomi takes her daughter-in-law back to Bethlehem. And then they are hungry again. And Ruth has to go out and pretty much in difficult circumstances, being an outsider, I mean, if you would, being a, an immigrant into a foreign land and going and taking uh, food off the side of the fields that were left there to take of that to feed her and her mother-in-law. The food at that point in time was an oasis. It was a means of getting by. And so she gleaned that food, and they got it. It was exciting, and she met this man called Boaz. And Boaz had an eye for her, and I believe Ruth had an eye for him. And he told his people that work for him, leave some extra food on the side. Right? It's sort of like... Uh, it, if you could imagine if you were at a uh, dinner, or if you were single, let me make that clear, and you're going out to dinner, and you're around, and, and someone, your waiter or waitress uh, attracted your eye, right? And it comes time to leave the tip, you go a little deeper. You want to let her know or him know that there is something about you. And so Boaz became Ruth and Naomi's oasis. And, you know, then there's this contrived scheme that we talked about. And, and Ruth, last week we discussed that Ruth went in and she uncovered his feet and lay beside him. And he looked at her and he came to her and, and he was just like, who are you? And he found out, and real quickly, he was like going to make this right. I don't want to take too much time in it, but he said, I will make this right. There is a kinsman redeemer that is closer than I, but let me go make this right. But everyone, everyone is looking for an oasis. And I'm not talking about our church. But the sad thing is, as I reflect on the depth of despair in our world, if you take time to listen, there is so much brokenness around us. There is so much brokenness within us. It becomes overwhelming. And the next thing comes up, the next oasis that pops up, the next circumstance that pops up, it's like, if I can only get there. You know, for single people, I remember what it's like to be single. It's been a while. But it's like, you know, if I just find that person for me, I will find my oasis and everything else will work out right. I love my wife, but she 
cannot make my life right. Then you go, well, if we just have a vehicle, and you know, we just need a vehicle, you know, you get that, and then that's an oasis, or this, and I'm not busting getting a vehicle, don't hear that. Or then if we just go on this vacation, or if we just can do this, if we can just spend more time with our family, and these oases we creep up, and we get to them, and it disappears. And you look around you, and you go, that might have been nice, but it didn't deeply satisfy. Can any of y'all relate to that? Not to bust on kids, because I have been one and I have some, but when I have interviewed people as I'm, we're sort of heading towards that empty nest stage, I'm just like, tell me about it, you know? And, and, and most of them say, most people say that it is more difficult to be a parent to adult kids than it was to raise your own kids. That might shock some of you. But as I, you know, as I begin to see circumstances around me, and you realize the weight of sometimes just that you can't control things anymore, and you're supposed to let kids go, and it's a good thing to let go, and I'm all for that, but you lose control, and then as you get older, I know I'm, I'm just, I'm reading the tea leaves in my life. We get older, right? Doesn't that happen? Some of y'all, it happens, right? And the older you get, the less control you have then. Because then you might have more time and maybe you have less money and then you're stretched to go different places and, and then there's all these other responsibilities. And so it's like the world just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning. And many of you I've watched take care of parents. I've watched take care of kids. I've watched go through infertility. I've watched go through all these things and it is difficult I've seen so many people who are single parents, some of you who are married. It's difficult. And I know sometimes it can seem overly simplistic to just get, read your word every day, which I would encourage you to do, pray every day, which I would encourage you to do, but there is a part of this that you have to give up the control and totally trust in Jesus Christ because frankly, we have no control. We have, we have very limited control apart from ourselves and apart from us obeying what God says in his word, which is our choice to do or not to do and many of us have paid the price for not doing it. And so we glance over and we go, well, you know, it's sort of a distraction. Oh, oh, well, here's another oasis. Here's something that's going to make me happy. Here's something that's going to be a joyful. Look, it looks green. And you get up to the plant and it's made out of plastic. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But you get there. And it doesn't satisfy you. It's not a Snickers bar. Instead, it's what they say you are before a Snickers bar. You get there, and you're angry, and you're frustrated, and you're disenchanted. You're like, that did not give me what I thought it would give me. So let's look in Ruth, 
and let us look towards ultimately the oasis. The oasis. Verse one. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he sat and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So this was a this was like going to the town, the city hall. This was a gate was a place to do commerce, to make contracts, to verbalize agreements, to settle on land, all this stuff. They were there, and Boaz left Ruth that early morning, and he went right to the town gate. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say... Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come to you after you and said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Boaz, I'm gonna read into this a little bit. I can't tell you that I, can't tell you that I know the truth upon the truth of this, but Boaz was an honorable man. Boaz could have tried to circumnavigate his situation and turn it to himself, but he did it in the upright way. So I, one example I thought of is how Oasis bought this building. I'm gonna give you a little lesson. It amazes me how many people in Christendom will not do things the right way. I'm not talking about the world. I'm just talking about people who have the moniker of Christian. Just... Just go around it. And so I was aware that another church was looking at this building to buy. And so we, we ended up talking, the elders discussed. I made a phone call to that pastor and I said, hey, pastor, I said, uh, I understand that you are looking at this building. I just want to know because we want to look at it, but you are there first and we want to, we don't want to we want to wrestle you for a building. We're all in God's kingdom, right? And so we said, if you are pursuing it, then that's fine. We will not pursue it, but please let me know if you're not. And he said, Eric, we just decided that we're not pursuing it any longer. I was like, okay. You know, it took a little longer to do it sort of, you know, to do it right. And we waited and we, and we, we did it right. And I think God blesses us with the building for it. Boaz did it right. He didn't just claim Ruth for his own. He didn't just go with his fleshly emotions and just take and grab. He did it the right way. And I think that that is a biblical concept for us to grab hold on to, to not reach after oases that are non-biblical, that are shortcuts to something that God says you have to wait for, that you go through the process and do it the right way in order to, for God to bless you. 
Don't take shortcuts. And Boaz didn't do this. For Boaz to redeem Naomi and Ruth, and it was both of them, by the way, the law had to be satisfied and not bypassed. So he did it legally. He did the legal thing, and he went, and he took care of it, and all of a sudden, he had a new wife and a new mother-in-law. Verse 7. Now, this was a custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witness this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and the Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance." that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So the transaction had to be announced and witnessed at the gate as well. It couldn't just be him and that other guy. We know how that goes, right? You need to have a witness. You need, that's why when people get married, there's usually witnesses that have to sign off. That's why when there's contracts, people have to attest that this was said and you sign and people sign and it has to be that way. That's why you have to a lot of times take your driver's license to confirm things that are said and done. And so Boaz did this and he, and he took care of it and he made Ruth his. Now, what I meant to say earlier is that I, I have a suspicion that this man, this unnamed man, probably didn't want a Moabite wife. I didn't read this anywhere, but I just sort of, and so don't hold me to this. But you look, he wanted the land. He wanted to take hold of that. But when he found out, you notice that Boaz was slick here, I think. He said, Ruth, the Moabite. Right, And I think that that was probably a, an ixnay on that for this guy. He probably want to keep it sort of all in the family. Some people are like that. You know, they get away from, they want to have it a certain way. But this Ruth, or Boaz was not like this. He saw someone he loved. He didn't care whether he was, she was a Moabite or from a Jebusite or whatever. He knew Ruth and he wanted to have her as a wife. Verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath and, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. They were blessing this. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women, this is an interesting turn, said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, and a nourisher of your old age, 
For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. Hear that? A son has been born to who? Naomi. Naomi. Bitter. Naomi. Some of us are bitter. Some of us have gone through life and things haven't turned out the way we thought they should. And you stare at your circumstances and you look and you go, and if you stare at those long enough, those will not be the thing that encourage you. They're not oases for us. They're more of a mirage. They're more of a, it takes the life out of it. It's just more of a desert. It's just throwing sand in a hungry mouth. But those situations come. And Naomi, however, Naomi was bitter. Naomi saw a lot of loss with her son, her husband, her sons. She went into a, a crazy land, came back in, and, and was still uncertain. And then all of a sudden, It is attested in the Bible that God had given her a child. Even more important is who this child represents. They gave him a name, Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You might think your life's jacked up right now. But I want to encourage you that the story is not over. The story is not over. It's over if you take shortcuts. It might be over. It's and not completely over. It might be over if you do it your way. It might be over. But if you, despite maybe your frustration, despite your bitterness, that you keep moving on, you keep looking to Jesus, you keep hoping that God will redeem the time and God will give you fruit for things that you thought there could not be fruit from. I bet Naomi questioned a lot of things in her life. I bet she questioned where she ended up. But here's the thing. That baby was a blessing, but it was not the oasis. Boaz was not, was a blessing, but he was not the oasis. We see that this child became the grandfather of King David who in the line of King David came forth our King, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our oasis. There can be no substitute. 
There can be no shortchanging it. There can be not enough Bible reading. There can be not enough doing right things if Jesus Christ is not our oasis. If he is not the one that we are turning to and hoping for, then it is going to all dry up. There's a song that, uh, an old hymn called Before the Throne of God Above. And I think it sort of gives a, a great hope. And a lot of things that we sang today, if you didn't catch it, are right online with this. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, I look to heaven and see him there who made an end for all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look on him and pardon me. Boaz became the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. Jesus Christ in what he did for us publicly on the cross demonstrated both in justice and in kindness that we were bought with a price, that our hope is built on nothing less. He did three, four things in this mission that actually Boaz did and lined up. First off, he did it willingly. Jesus came and died willingly. He didn't go begrudgingly. He didn't like it when the time grew near. He was human, 100% human in God, but he, he went willingly. It said, for the joy set before him, he went towards Jerusalem. He went towards the cross. He saw God's plan and he did it joyfully. He did it willingly. And Boaz did it willingly. Also, Jesus did it purposefully. We saw in the story that Boaz did it purposefully. Jesus did it purposely as well. He had a plan. He knew what he was going to do. He went and did not deviate from that plan unless the father took him from it. And he went and he went until God moved him and moved him and just directed his path. So he was purposeful. If you're a Christian this morning and you are in a desert and you have been grasping after mirages or trying to get to an oasis, then you need to uh, sort of model your life after Jesus Christ and secondarily moderate, moder model it after Boaz to be both willing and purposeful in how you pursue your life. Jesus was purposeful. He didn't get distracted only when they were godly distractions. And then he did it faithfully. He did it faithfully. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. How do you glorify God with your body? We saw Ruth and Naomi, or excuse me, we saw Ruth and Boaz do that well in our last week's story. They said, it's, there's a time for this, but it's not now, right? We talked about, if you missed it last week, go check it out. I don't have time to go into it, but you know, 
There's a gal at your bed, you know, and you're there. There's things you could have done, and they chose not to. They did, they did it in purposeful timing. They were faithful in the timing. They honored God with their body, and God blessed them. Remember what happened when Abraham went outside of God's right way? You know, he, he went in with the harlot, and then he's like, it wasn't God's plan, and then it created all kinds of other problems. But you need to glorify God with your body by not shortchanging yourself, men and women, not shortchanging yourself. And I'm not just talking about sexually. I am talking about stuff you watch on TV, stuff you go and do, stuff you read, stuff that you like pour into your head. I mean, it is, it is just ghastly what some people feed in here. And, and it's in the church. It's in the church. But our model is not around us. Our model is Jesus Christ. And he glorified God with his body as we're called to glorify God with ours because the Holy Spirit resides there. <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, I forget what it was, but anytime I'd be with my dad and I'd throw a TV show on that I thought was good, you know, I'd go there and I'd be like, hey, dad, we're gonna watch this. Every time I did it, Something came up there that I just sort of shrunk. You know, and I, I'd go, oh. You know, it's like you don't see it unless dad's there, right? And it happened multiple times. And sure enough, the statement in my home, I'll walk into the family room and some show will be on. And it's just like, I'll stand there and I'll go. You know, and you're like, dad, this never happens only when you come in here. You can come ask me later whether I believe that or not, but uh, they don't mean it declaratively. But we need to honor God with our body because we were bought with a price. Boaz bought Naomi and Ruth and the land with a price. He bought the inheritance with a price. He bought the future name with a price. If you have been bought with the price of Jesus, then your name is, is Christian for a reason. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, you're to glorify God in your body. You're to do things right. You're to love your neighbor. You're to honor people around you. You're not to shortchange yourself. We're not called just to get by. We're called to be a blessing. We're called to go through adversity and, and, and keep our eyes on Jesus, but we're not called to continue to go after false oases. So I'm gonna ask you, Last one I didn't even get to was unselfishly. Probably because I didn't want to say that one. Boaz gave unselfishly to redeem. Jesus redeemed unselfishly. I'll just make a statement to you. I'm the most selfish person I know. When I look in, if I'm honest with myself, I can be incredibly selfish. I can be incredibly me-centered internally. But Jesus did not do that. Our hope is in that. Jesus was unselfish. Boaz was unselfish. 
and we're called to be unselfish. This morning, I just wanna ask you a question before we come to communion, before we remember what Jesus did as our kinsman redeemer. Who or what is your false oasis? Or said a different way, what or who is the mirage that you're chasing down? Jesus came to the temple and he abolished the idols. He went in and turned over the tables. He said, my God, my house is to be a house of prayer. And we know theologically that we become the sanctuary of God as a Christian, that, that we become and we are his, his workmanship and that we are his sanctuary. What is inside of here that is a mirage or that you have declared is an oasis of hope that is gonna go away. I want you to think about that as we approach the table. Would you please stand with me? The weird thing about asking people to repent is that the, the world has turned it around that calling for repentance is being, is being uh, bad for you somehow. Like, for me going, declare your mirage and cast it aside, and inside you might go, but I don't want to. It doesn't feel good. It's my precious. But the Bible declares, Jesus Christ declares that you give up to me that I will give you tenfold. Wait for me, wait for me, give unto me, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Trust me with all that you've got and I will bless you. Do it his way and I will bless you. So a call to repentance is not a feel bad thing, it is a blessing. Do you believe that? So as you contemplate your mirage as you come forward, don't come forward the mopey, miserable, I want to do M's now, melancholy, anyway, don't come here just woe with me, come here going, okay, God, Ruth waited, Boaz waited, did the right thing, Jesus did the right thing, I want to do the right thing, I want your blessing, God, I do not want to work against you, I want to work for you, so I come this morning giving up my precious, saying, God, would you take it, I want to trust in you. So let's bow on our heads. God, help us to see the hope in the gospel and not the rules. Help us to see the promise for a future Lord, and not be distracted by the mirages and not be distracted by where we can't see the hilltop. God, help us not be distracted. Lord, as we remember what you did on the cross, Lord, we remember that the sacrifice was selfish, would lack selfishness, Lord, that you did it selflessly. Lord, you did it faithfully. Lord, because you love us. And Lord, we want to give back to you because we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.